0: I will be reading Romans chapter 15 verses 1 through 2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Good morning church. and Good morning graduates. We are um, proud of you and thrilled for you, and um, ready to see you leave. No, I'm just joking. Oh, isn't that a mixed blessing, parents? I couldn't believe it when Lauren was uh, a senior, and uh, she was our first to leave the nest. We were just all of that. She was thrilled to leave, and we were thrilled she was walking out the door. Uh, But they come back, parents. (laughs) They do, and uh, that's a joy, too. And so I just want to say thank you Uh, to all the parents here who have done such a marvelous job uh, in preparing these teens. I had a chance this morning to be with them and uh, probably the greatest senior blessing that I've ever been a part of uh, in my life as a minister. Uh, Ricky just does a phenomenal job with uh, honoring our kids including their parents and the blessings that were read by um, uh, those authority figures in their life, some of them weren't their actual birth parents but, but those blessings that were shared we uh, were not only touching, I know, to the kids, but to every single one of us in the room. Uh, it was absolutely uh, an amazing morning. As the story goes, the mugging took place just blocks off of New York's Broadway Boulevard. It was a favorite route of tourists between Times Square and St. Patrick's Cathedral. The attackers set up their ambush in the most dimly lit alley closest to the famous Cambry Hotel because pizza delivery personnel were often seen making deliveries at all hours of the night there. Shortly after nine o'clock, much to their delight a Domino's pizza delivery man in his 30s parked just 10 feet from the alley and the thieves waiting in the shadows bid their time until he had made his delivery upstairs to one of the rooms of the hotel, hoping for a cash transaction that would up the total that the driver would be carrying on him. Upon his return, the delivery man was attacked and in less than 30 seconds, his assailants left him with broken ribs, a punctured lung, a concussion, and his head bleeding badly enough that it was gonna need several stitches. They took the driver's wallet with it 38 dollars, two credit cards and his driver's license and adding insult to injury they removed the baller basketball shoes worth 500 dollars from his feet and a Yankees jacket worth a couple of hundred and the two thugs left the man near death. However, a horrible situation got better almost instantly when in less than five minutes a priest who was guest lecturing at St. Patrick's, walked by. The priest had been speaking on the value of neighborhood, and he had spoken to a standing room only crowd. He was smiling at himself from the church's response to a little ditty that he had used in his talk. And like a good neighbor, Christians are there. He was smiling how um, the church had responded to that little ditty when he saw movement in the alley. And it was accompanied by sounds that seemed like moans and what appeared to be a badly wounded man. He reached into his pocket to dial 911, but the phone was dead. He had forgotten to charge it, and then he heard a noise close to the dumpster where the body lay in the shadows, and he didn't wait around to see what it was that made the noise. Less than a few minutes later, however, a minister leader from the Baptist church who was also in Buffalo for the Love Your Neighbor conference walked by. She didn't hear any moans, but she saw a cat walking away from what looked like a bot in the alley with no shoes on and a pool of blood that was shimmering in the streetlight. She never even thought of her cell phone because the panic was in her heart was too great. Besides, she had a breakout session with her benevolence team back at the hotel, and she was already late, and so she just kept moving. She had barely made the corner when a few steps behind her was a Syrian Islamic man. Who, when he saw the man lying face down, rushed to the victim's side and, seeing his wounds, tore his kurta, wrapped the man's head with them, and remembering that the hospital was just a few minutes away, picked him up and carried him to his car and rushed into the hospital as fast as he could. And there he stayed with him through the night with this unidentified young man. And when he found out he didn't have any insurance, he generously paid with the credit card that he had there. And then he left the number in case there happened to be any more expenses. And then the generous Muslim man quietly left. When the pizza delivery man woke up two days later and the nurse told him what had happened, the young man who was a preacher for the Church of Christ was grateful to God for saving his life but not sure what to think about how he felt having God use a Muslim Samaritan to do it. Some of you look like you've heard this story before. And we have, haven't we? Even if you've never read the Bible, and even if you don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God, there's a good chance that you have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. Interestingly, in its original usage, it was meant to designate a group of people who were despised. And I say that word kind of lightly but with his full force, hear it again, who were despised. Jesus, who was a Jew, changed all that in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus tells a made-up story to a Jewish religious leader. He was a religious heavyweight, the Bible says, who comes to him one day and he seeks to ask Jesus a question that he hopes will make Jesus look a little foolish. And the reason is because Jesus had developed a reputation as having this renegade view of Torah. And so in the gathering that was quite sizable, this religious expert wanted to expose him for what he was, a sham. So here's the question. He said, what, in your opinion, will grant a person eternal life? How can I enjoy a life that has no end? How can I enjoy a life that I couldn't get more of if I wanted to? And Jesus says, glad you asked. But before I answer, would you mind sharing your thoughts about what the law says? And here are the words that you know very well were responded to by this expert teacher. He says, the law reads, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you would yourself. Jesus says, nailed it, dead on, absolutely correct. Now, do this, and you, my friend, will live. Well, when this expert of the law, this religious heavyweight hears this, it dawns on him, he's not winning this verbal sparring match like he thought he would. And so the Bible says, seeking to justify himself, he asks Jesus a question. Well, who is my neighbor then? And then Jesus tells the Jewish version, the original version, of the story that I just shared a few moments ago. Here's what he said. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes. they beat him and he went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw a man, he saw the man and he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and then he passed by on the other side but a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him he had compassion on him and he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him and the next day he took out two days wages two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said look after this fella and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And Jesus concluded with these words, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him? And Jesus told him, go and do life. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning having heard the word of the Lord, not just a story that I made up, but a story that you made up. And we ask this morning that that word would have its full effect in our hearts and our lives as we are a church right now trying to contemplate, what does it mean to love your neighbor? And Father, as we send these graduates out, we hope that we're sending a new core of disciples who maybe understand and get that term a little bit better than maybe we have, who maybe love their neighbor in ways that we've neglected to do so. But Father, we realize we're not the only church today who's sending out graduates, most likely. Would you please be with Hosanna Lutheran Church this morning and the word that's being spoken there and the songs that are being sung there and the the bread that's being broken and the cup that's being taken. Would you together help us as one body of Christ send out these new disciples and help them, Father, to make a difference in all the world. And we ask this humbly in Jesus' name and the church said. Both my version of the Good Samaritan story or what may more rightfully be called the Good Neighbor story and the one that Jesus tells, interestingly enough, put the expert of the law in the ditch. He's the one laying assaulted and wounded in the road. He's the one who's been robbed and beaten and left for dead. Now, he could possibly be the priest. He could possibly be the Levite. But he's most certainly not the Samaritan. He's not the despised one. The one who, who he would have just as soon spit on as to speak to if he saw him in the street alive. That would have been too much for this expert of the law to handle. It would be too much for probably any one of us to handle. And I'll get to that in a minute. But two of the people that Jesus lists here come from this expert in the law's Jewish heritage. The priest and the Levite are duty-bound by what they've been called to in their heritage, their birth line, to minister to people in need. That's what priests and Levites do. But they walk directly past a man who was obviously in need who'd obviously been assaulted and may be near death. But the one who stops, hinge moment in the story, the one who stops is none other than the despised one. Now, to make this story personal, there's no way we could go further without me asking this question. Who in the world or what category of people would you place in the despised category? It's the only way this story really makes any sense. Who are those people that if they were in your presence would literally make your skin crawl and most certainly you would make sure your kids were not allowed to spend time around them? That's a Samaritan in this story. That's how this expert in the law hears that term when Jesus tells this make-believe story. And I want you to remember, church, before this man's name is connected with extraordinary acts of kindness, because we do that, don't we? We use that phrase, oh, weren't they the good Samaritans? Before that ever became a title of significance for those who are kind, it was a title for those who were despised for centuries. Before it was a kindness word, the word Samaritan was a curse word to this expert in the law. And I gotta ask, what group of people would be that for you? Would it be based on their nationality? Would it be based on their political preference? Would it be based on their sexual orientation? Would it be based on their religious affiliation? Would it be based on the color of their skin, their economic status, maybe the crime that they've committed? To get the full effect of what Jesus is teaching here for your own life, I believe absolutely you've got to substitute your own category for what repulses you in our society. Then you get the term Samaritan as the expert in the law would use it. And here's what Jesus would say. That category of people, you need to include in neighbor. As we're working through the scripture and trying to discover what exactly is God speaking to us about loving our neighbor, Jesus would say, you need to include in that category people that you despise. But he would go further than that. He would say, and the reason is because you've been loved by somebody who has despised more than the people that you're considering. He would say that. And he does often through the writers of the New Testament. He was the one who was so despised and so rejected by society that a Middle Eastern government executed him in the most shameful way they could come, with, come up with in their lifetime. Death on a cross. And the Bible says there was a moment in history in which the son of the living God was on one of those, and he became shame-filled. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says, the one who knew no sin, the sinless lamb of God, became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. And in that moment, if we remember, we were just there recently walking through the different things that unfolded with Friday and the absence of of what seemed like God on Saturday and the, the Eureka, unbelievable good news of Sunday. We just did that in Easter. But there was a time when in that moment on Friday we call Good Friday, it was Black Friday for the disciples and the Black Friday for Jesus on that day when God turned his back on his son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that Jimmy Sportsman would realize his sin debt was being paid in full. That's one. And you talk about despised. You talk about rejected. You talk about mocked. You talk about shameful. It doesn't come any more specific and on point than that. Why? Because, my friend, you were in the ditch. You were in the ditch. And there was nothing else you could do about it. And unless this sinless Son of God comes and puts on your sin, you don't get better. You don't. He's the Samaritan of all Samaritans. He's the good Samaritans of all Samaritans. And the church said, Amen. And unless he gets off of his high horse, unless he does not count equality with God something to be grasped and come to this place, you don't make it. Unless he loves you personally, unless he loves you sacrificially, unless he loves you extravagantly, you're not here today. You're not. And this Samaritan in the story that Jesus tells did all of that. He gets off of his donkey, goes over to a man who's brutally been assaulted and left for dead, and he personally risks himself sacrifices possibly his own life to do so just stopping to take care of his needs but he puts, he pours on his wine he pours on his oil he's not making a donation here he's he's doing whatever it takes to get this man to a safer place than where he's at for the moment and he doesn't just stop just with a little donation to to to, to take, take care of his room for if he has any expense here's my credit card number we'll handle this when i return The Samaritan loved this man personally, sacrificial, and extravagantly. Now, I don't know how you hear that because I struggle with all three of those when it comes to loving people. Yeah, I, I can be personal, I, I do, but sacrificially and extravagantly, now I'm kind of more of a minimalist, all right? I can be a minimalist when it comes to loving my wife. I can be a minimalist when it comes to loving you. I can be a minimalist when it comes to loving my kids because there's too much of the time that's about me, and I am a maximist when it comes to me. I may be a minimalist when it comes to you, but I am a maximist when it comes to me. Jesus didn't ask me to love you minimally. He asked me to come to to you and love you with all of my heart and all my soul, all my strength and all my mind you say well that was, that's really for God and he goes well but there's a second one that's real close to that very similar to that and that's loving your neighbor as yourself and that means loving you with all the power and all the creativity and all the quickness and all the magnanimous, uh, magnanimous <laughs> all, all the largeness that I like loving me with and that's a lot And Jesus did that. Paul outlines it for us in Philippians chapter 2 when he says this, In your relationships with one another, you have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, or to be grasped, or to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There's those three things again. He loved us personally. didn't just sit up in His high place on His high horse. He came and got in this with us. He loved us sacrificially. He didn't just make a donation to the cause, no. He didn't just get low in the cause, you know, kind of wash a few floors and a few feet, no. He sacrificed Himself even unto death on a cross, extravagantly, so that you and I would have our wounds healed. And he so completely healed us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says that when you trust in him, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. That's thoroughly. I could add a fourth one there. When I found out that this was Senior Sunday, I thought, God, you are just so brilliant. No way I could have orchestrated this but you did. Here we are honoring those who've come to a crossroads in their life. A moment in life when they're about to take the reins, when they're about to take the steering wheel, and they're going to begin making some decisions in their life that will either pave out a path of blessing or pave out a path of burden. What do you say in a moment like that? And it falls on a Sunday when we're talking about what it means to be biblically a neighbor to somebody. And it all falls in the context of somebody who pops a question and says, you know what, I'd like to know, how do you have life to the full? How do you have life that has no end to it? And I thought, you put those two together on the same Sunday? Yeah, I did. Because I want these seniors to have life to the full. I do. I want them to have the best that it has to offer. I want them to live a life, and when they're done, just look back and go, no regrets. Well, not many. And I remember, and and there's a lot of us in here who have either lots of gray hair or no hair. We remember, okay, what it was like to be right where you are. And and we were excited about the potential that all that life could be, all of it. I googled graduation slogans. Here's some of the short ones. Keep it real. Be true to yourself. Be the best you can be. If you're going to go, go big. Somebody's going to write that on one of your uh, graduation notebooks, cards, yearbook, whatever thing you, you guys are doing these days to kind of remember your friends and have them say something about you. But here's a couple of more that are a little bit longer that I thought were kind of cool. Find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Oh, that's good. If opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. But here's my favorite. If you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Love that. Well, can I add one to your life? It's not near as catchy as those, but it it might stick with you. So when I remember back about my graduation Sunday and the preacher preached on, here's my slogan. If you want to have a 10, remember Luke 10. If you want your life to be a 10, remember Luke 10. Because amazingly here in Luke chapter 10, you know what Jesus is doing? He's sending out some guys, 70 of them, trial run about how to be a disciple. He's got to do this because he's going to be leaving soon and he wants them to have some on-the-job training, so he sends them out. Well, we're sending you out. And probably just like they did, you're going to come back. And that's not all that. But right there in Luke chapter 10 in the center of it is this question that you need an answer to. Is there, is there anything that we could be doing? I mean, to, to, to taste life to the full? Life that doesn't have any end? And Jesus has it right here in Luke 10. So if you want your life to be a 10, tune into Luke chapter 10. And you'll hear what Jesus has to say about having a life to the full. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself and you'll have life to the full. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself, and you'll have life to the full. You say, Jimmy, we already know that scripture. I know, but we want you to live that scripture. And I hope as your adult figures in your life, people who've been trying to mold and shape your life, we've done a good job of teaching you how to do that. I know in both areas we've not done as well as we'd like to have. How do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Well, you've got to have the right motivation. You've got you to have the right motivation. And you know what? There's really two motivating factors that people try to use in the world to motivate anybody to do anything. The first one is guilt with the co-pilot threats. Guilt and threats. The second one is with Grace. We believe grace makes a better motivator to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbors yourself than guilt and threats. And some of us have been in places like this and we've been guilted and threatened to death, but not to much life. And so we've been trying as best as we can to point you to grace more so than guilt and threats. And there's a little illustration that helps me remember this and maybe it'll help you. A husband came home from work one day Dead dog tired. Walked in, started to walk into the house. And before he could, the wife opened the door and was waiting for him with this big smile on her face, gave him a huge kiss, and said, Here, honey. And it was a glass of sweet tea. He loved sweet tea. Said, Sit down over here in your, your, your easy chair. ESPN's on your favorite station. Here's your paper. Um, I'm going to go in and finish up dinner and I'll call you. She walked into the kitchen. He got up, went outside, looked at the address on the house and wondered if he had the right place. Went back inside, sat down, had his tea. She called him for dinner. It was all of his favorites. Chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes and gravy, fresh crescent rolls, fried okra, banana pudding for dessert. Just before he took the first bite of the banana pudding, it started to dawn on him, I think maybe I've forgotten an important day. He said, honey, is is it our anniversary? She said, no. What are you guys studying in your ladies' Bible class? She told him. He said, well, I'm not getting all this. He said, honey, I just want you to understand something. You mean the world to me. I absolutely adore you. I love you too, he said she started to get up and leave. She said, well, honey, can I ask you, is there anything that I can do to help? Can I clean up? She said, well, no, 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 I'll clean up dishes, but you know, your parents are coming, and uh, it'd really be helpful if, if you maybe cleaned up the bathroom upstairs and, and maybe took the sheets off the bed and put the new sheets on. That helped me out a lot, but I'm gonna go ahead and finish. I'll, another bowl of uh, banana pudding I, when I get back. Ladies, what's he gonna do? Get right up there, And I mean, he's going to get out the Windex and he's going to get out the scrubbing bubbles and he's going to attack that bathroom and he's going to make those sheets and he's going to whistle while he does it. And some of you are thinking, this is a preacher story, right? (laughs) He might even take you out to dinner. Not dinner, but for dessert. No, no, no. A movie, huh? After it's done. Now, you could have motivated him a little bit different. You could have met him at the door and said, buddy, your mom and dad are coming in less than two days. And if you don't get up there and clean that bathroom and change out those seats, there will not be so much as a pinto bean on your plate. Are you reading me? And he would have said, yes, ma'am. And he would have gone right up there and he would also gotten out the, the scrubbing bubbles and the Windex. But I guarantee you, he wouldn't have been singing he had been saying, do you what? Ring around the tub, I'll ring her neck is what I'll do. Talk to me like that. And you know what? There would have been a pristine bathroom and there would have been a pristine guest room, but not a pristine marriage. Guilt and threats are a powerful motivator. To get people to do things you want them to do, but not for very long, and certainly not with much life in it. But then there's grace. Then there's there's loving someone beyond what they even deserve. It's a powerful motivator. There's going to be a lot of advice thrown around to you, graduates, here the next couple of days and weeks. But can I can I point you back to Luke chapter 10 if you want your life to be a 10? You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. It comes from the Greek word that means nearby. Placeion is the Greek word. It just simply means closest to you. So yeah, sure, love the people closest to you uh, that you locker next to, love the people closest to you that you uh, sit next to at, at school, love the people closest to you that you work with, love the people closest to you that fill in the blank, that are in your home. But here's one that we're looking at as a church. Taking a second look at But as you seniors go out, would you maybe do a better job at something we may not have done so good a job at? Would you love that neighbor that's across your street and to your left and to your right next door? Would you maybe think about how how they're doing? Maybe find out how they're doing? We're going to talk about exactly how that happens next week. Because I guarantee you, we're driving by, we're walking by some incredible needs in some people's lives. And we're hoping that you'll be a generation that pays more attention maybe to them than we have. Somebody's going to say achieving or mastering or purchasing or marrying or winning are the keys to the doors that hold the treasures of life behind them. And I just want to say on behalf of God, wrong, it's loving. It's loving. He'll change the world. There was a place in South Africa that not too long ago had two distinct groups of people who despised each other. It was South Africa. And a man by the name of Nelson Mandela helped to change all of that. And he changed it, interestingly enough, Philip Yancey writes, when he emerged from prison and was elected president of South Africa. He actually invited his jailer to join him on the inauguration platform. Early in his presidency, he appointed Archbishop Desmond Tutu as the head official of government and panel entitled the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Yancey goes on to write, the rules were simple. If a white policeman or army officer voluntarily faced his accusers, confessed his crime, and fully acknowledged his guilt, he could not be tried and punished for the crime. This approach was highly controversial as we can imagine, but Tutu kept insisting that the country needed healing rather than eye for an eye justice. At one hearing, a policeman by the name of Vanderbroek recounted an incident when he and other officers had shot an 18-year-old boy and burned the body in order to destroy the evidence. Eight years later, Vanderbroek returned to the same house to seize the boy's father. The man's wife was forced to watch as the policeman bound her husband on a wood pile, poured gasoline over his body, and ignited it with a match. After this man had recounted his crimes, the judge then turned straight to the elderly woman who had lost her husband and her son to this atrocity, and he asked her, What do you want from Mr. Van The hush in the courtroom was just like the hush in this room. And the elderly woman rose to speak, and here's what she said. She said she wanted Vanderbrock to go to the place where he had burned her husband's body and gather up the dust so she could give him a decent burial. Vanderbrock bowed his head and nodded in agreement he'd do that. And then she added a further request. Mr. Vanderbrock, you took away all my family, all of them from me. She said, looking at him, but I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for you to come to the township and spend a day with me so that I can do my best to mother you. I'd like you, Mr. Brock, to know that God has forgiven you, and I forgive you too. She told the judge, I'd like to embrace this man if he'll let me so he can know that my forgiveness is real. Spontaneously, all those in the courtroom began singing together. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Mr. Vanderbrock never heard a word of him. Because Philip Yancey writes, he had fainted dead away. I'd like to make the world faint in my lifetime. Because we loved personally, because we loved sacrificially, and because we loved extravagantly. That's what God's called us to. That's what He's calling you seniors to. You want to talk about living? It doesn't get any better than that. We come to you, Father, thanking you for all that you have meant in our lives. Thank you for coming down from your high place to our low place to get in the ditch with us. And Father, I know that you've brought someone here this morning who finds that hard to believe that you could love them that much. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll do what I can't in any sermon that I ever preach. Would you please touch and convict their hearts to let them know they're worth that much? Would you let that grace just wreck them so you can love them? and help lead them to a path of life that they couldn't imagine. I pray for our seniors here who have a bazillion decisions to make. And I pray, Father, that they truly will allow your your word to be the GPS of their life. But if they can't remember all of it, would you help them to remember the north point of it, the true north, to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their neighbors themselves, Father, may they lead us to places with those truths, those promises, those um, acts of grace where we've not been yet as a church. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. And everyone said We're going to sing a song now that uh, celebrates God's greatness and His love. And uh, if we can love on you in any way, into Christ maybe for the first time, to pick you back up if you've fallen down. If there's any way that we can meet any of you, we've got elders at the back and elders here at the front, please come while we stand and while we sing.